You are listening to Reframe Your Life, where we explore the power of telling our stories to recognize the ways we are transforming our lives. I'm Patty Hall, and I co-host this podcast with Sandy Reynolds. We are doing things a little differently today. Before we introduce today's guest, we thought we might introduce ourselves to those of you who've just discovered the podcast. Sandy, do you want to get us started? Thanks, Patty. I'm so glad that we're going to take this time and just introduce a little bit about ourselves and the podcast to our listeners. I started Reframe Your Life four years ago because I wanted to have the conversations I was hoping to hear on a podcast. And that hasn't changed. I'm still doing this for myself. It's really all about me at the end of the day. (laughs) This podcast has been a place of self-development for me. And I have learned a lot about myself through the topics that I've explored and the guests and the conversations that I've had. And the ones, especially in the last eight episodes that you and I have had. I love having a co-host and I'm so glad that you are part of this team with me. I started Reframe Your Life with Joanne Gibson and we recorded over 80 episodes together. It was during this time that we met and interviewed you, Patty, and you quickly became one of my favorite guests. And after a season of recording on my own when Joanne left, I was so happy that you were willing to collaborate with me on this current version of Reframe Your Life. Professionally, I've returned to my first love of writing. I actually did my first writing course when I was about 20, and I felt like I was too old or I was too young to write. I didn't really have any authority, like it was who would listen to a 20-year-old. So I I did some magazine work and interviewing back in the day, and I did communications work, and then I kind of got into adult education. So it's great for me to come back now at this stage of life to writing where I feel like I am old enough to have something to say. In fact, I feel like maybe I'm too old to say anything, but the timing's never perfect, is it? I'm really interested in uh, memoirs about women who have left toxic systems, especially religious systems, because my background was really being part of a religious system for much of my life. I find it inspiring to read about how people find the courage to leave the security of life they are in to find themselves and to pursue what they want in life. And I think that's why I've started writing the book that I'm writing, which is called Disappoint More People, because it takes a certain level of ability to disappoint people and be willing to disappoint people to really live life on your own terms. And I think for a lot of women, we've been conditioned to please other people and to put other people first. So right now, that's what I'm doing. I'm working on a book that shares my story of overcoming people pleasing, and I hope will provide a lot of insight into how other people pleasers can get comfortable with disappointing people. My favorite memoir is Gift from the Sea by Anne Morrow Lindbergh. It was published in 1955, and I found it in a box in the early 90s at a monastery I had gone to visit north of Regina, and I was doing a sort of silent retreat, get away from the kids, and think about my myself. There's a theme. Think about myself. Think about what I <laughs> next in my life, and I found this book, and I have read it almost every year since I first found it, and I recommend it to 
every woman. I think it's uh, timely and it's always like a good memoir. It's always um, relevant. It's built around universal truths that I think most women will identify with. So that's a bit about me, Patty, your turn. Okay. So I have the disadvantage here. Lots of people from the podcast know about my book and who I am. Uh, Patty Hall, otherwise known as Patty M. Hall in the publishing world. M is for memoir, everybody. I'm a writer, ghostwriter, book coach, and the person behind the writer for a couple dozen books that are out in the world with major publishers, self-publishers, and partner publishers. I call myself a memoiraholic because I've been in love with the genre my entire life. One of my first experiences with nonfiction was a biography of doctors. I remember um, my mother finding this in a box at a garage sale. And uh, it was an anthology. I love the way that feelings, fact, life story, and outside influences make us the people we are. I discovered it then, and I have never lost my fascination with uh, figuring out what it is that goes on in someone's life that leads them to develop the way they do. My own memoir, uh, Loving Large, has been featured here on Reframe Your Life. My work as a memoir story puller has been featured here as well. When Sandy invited me to co-host, I was thrilled because I'd been listening to the podcast for a very long time, and I knew that we would share not just the love of the genre, but different sides of exploring something we both love so much. From the writing, structural, writer's life side, I get to ask questions that are different than, than yours, Sandy, and I think that makes us a great team. Right now, I'm at work on a co-authored memoir, which I'll be able to say more about and share with listeners here in the months to come. I'm at the early stages of seeing who's going to pick up the memoir. It'll be fun to share publishing stories as we go along in the coming months. I'm planning my next memoir, which I believe we spoke a little bit about when uh, on episode 107, which was about Loving Large. I'm calling the next memoir Where to Next, which will explore some of the cables I left dangling in Loving Large. In Where to Next, I'm going to go into the middle adulthood or midlife search for who I am confronting my fears in my 50s, becoming someone other than mom in the years past what I liken to PTSD. My favorite memoir has, has long been Mother Daughter Me by Katie Hafner. This book celebrates and gets real with relationships, tragedy, legacy, and reality between generations, women and mothers, and sorry, women and mothers and daughters in particular, Hafner is a master craftsperson in the genre. She weaves together stories like no one else. It was the first book I read that sounded the way I hope I could sound in writing one day. And I've always been a fan and long will be. Today's episode is number 114, my lucky number. And our guest is the talented, outspoken, openly irreverent, and always awe-inspiring Rebecca Eckler. Sandy, can you tell listeners more about Rebecca? Sure, I'd love to. And thanks, Patty. And again, I do want to say thank you for collaborating with me. I feel like this has been where the podcast has wanted to go for a long time. And we're here and I love the guests that we're interviewing. And today's guest is one that I was not familiar with. She was a brand new writer to me. So when I read her bio, it's surprising to me that I haven't read anything or I hadn't read anything by her before we interviewed her. Rebecca Eckler is one of Canada's best known journalists and authors. She is the international 
best-selling author of 10 books, including Knocked Up, Toddlers Gone Wild, Wiped, and How to Raise a Boyfriend. Okay, so I'm seeing why I wasn't familiar with her just from reading about the books that she's published. Maybe 20 years ago, I would have discovered her. Her most recent book is called Blissfully Blended Bullshit about the trials and tribulations of blending families. She's also the executive director of SavvyMum.ca. We're going to be covering a lot of ground in our conversation today, including her latest book, Blissfully Blended Bullshit, in which she chronicles the hard truth of what it's really like to make a blended family. And because we've pre-recorded the interview, I can say this, I learned a lot about blended families through this interview and through her book. Blissfully Blended Bullshit is a witty, engaging, refreshingly candid chronicle of a modern family's journey as they blend households. In it, we follow Eckler as her partner and his two children move in with her and her daughter. Then, thanks to a reverse vasectomy, they add a baby to the mix. Readers go along for the ride in this poignant, often hilarious tale as everyone attempts to navigate their new roles. The children, the in-laws, the exes, the ex-in-laws, and even the dog lighthearted and intimate, but lighthearted, but still there's a lot of serious stuff we get into. Agreed. This is, yeah, for sure, right? This is an indispensable story about a family determined to make a blended, splendid, and the juicy <laughs> truth of what it's really like behind closed doors in what is rapidly becoming a typical family makeup. So welcome to Reframe Your Life, Rebecca. We're happy to have you here today, and having read your book, I can see that you've done a lot of reframing in your life and in your most recent book around your blended families. So let's just get right into some questions. But first, how are you doing? Um, overall in life or? Yeah, overall, in, like right now, Monday morning when we're recording this, how are you doing with um, the temperature? Today I woke up, but that in, in a really happy mood, and that could be because what we're doing right now. But for me, I basically told everybody, you know, everyone wants to go for a social media walk, wants to meet for a coffee, and you know, in a, a distance away from each other. I actually had to say to somebody yesterday, and I'm going to continue to do this. I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to wake up in. One day I'll, I'll wake up depressed. Maybe that will last three days. One day I might be very, very angry and just not want to leave my house. So I now don't make set, set plans because I don't know how I'm going to feel and I don't want to bail on people. I don't, I'm not that type of person. So I just admit, like, I think the more honest people are about these things, the better. Like I am telling you the truth. I can't make plans because I don't know if I'm going to get out of bed that day and I don't want to cancel on you because then I'm wasting your time. So, um, yeah, you know what? I'm taking it day by day and that's all yeah. I'm doing. I'm going to bed and I'll see how I wake up in the morning. Some days are Great. okay. Have I had an, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever in the past five months. No, I have not. Yeah. Although yeah. someone did make me a cake and that was really delicious cake <laughs> that was like a happy moment in the past five months and cake does come up in your book mm -hmm. That's it. there you go yeah we've been starting 
every episode off with a conversation around COVID and life during a pandemic because it's something none of us have ever experienced before. And it, it's definitely impacted us all in different ways. And some people are actually finding it it's tolerable and they're not expected in the same way as other people are. Yeah. How has, write, I, how has writing been for you, Rebecca, during this time? You know, we've been asking everyone about this when we get on the podcast because I'm hearing people say to me, oh, you must not be noticing that anything has changed. You're a writer. You're usually at home locked down. I mean, has it been income, a burden for you? Have you been feeling it, you know, as a writer, has it impacted your lifestyle? No, as a like as a writer, the ideas are there. Um, what has gone is the motivation. <laughs> I will okay. say that. Usually, uh, I write my when I write my books. I get up at five o'clock in the morning, and then I work till seven thirty. Get the kids ready to go to school, and then I will work. And I actually before every book, I actually tell my good friends. I'm probably not going to see you for the next six to nine months. And if I don't respond to your phone call, like I give them a heads up. You're not, I'm hibernating now. Like this is my book time. My phone is off. Um, Not so much on social media during those times, but now it's like I can sit at my computer and have the idea. Yeah. And then it's two o'clock in the afternoon and I try to start at nine (laughs) and I'm like, it's just a blog people. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even write a, 400 word blog. That's how unmotivated some, some days I am. Right. No, I get so it. if you find my motivation, too. you can send it my way, please. <laughs> yeah. So in your book, let's just get into this. Um, in your introduction, you said what screws most of us up is a picture or a fantasy in our heads of how a family is supposed to be, how we are supposed to treat each other and how we are supposed to look. And I, when I read that, I, th- I thought, well, we all know there is no perfect family. I mean, there's, you know, societal norms and pictures we have of what we think a family should be. But I, I was thinking, where does this fantasy come from? And how do we shift it to more realistic expectations of what families are and how they function? From your experience, writing the book and sharing your story and where you are now, did you, did you go into this with this fantasy of what it was going to be like? Yes. I went into, well, listen, I had love goggles on and that's yeah. a real thing. And as I say in blissfully blended bullshit, the first two years were actually really, really good. They were happy. Like everyone got along and then something turned like some sort of built up resentment turn um but yes like i went in thinking oh this is like pretty (laughs) like this is nice this is blissful this is nice um so it's just a bit of background so my now ex had two children i had a daughter and then we had a child together so it was kind of a family of six um that being said there was a very large age gap between them but everyone was excited for the baby um but after we broke up it's very interesting i just saw my bonus daughter ex-bonus daughter i guess uh for the first time yesterday and it was because i was dropping my son off because it was his father's day and she was sitting on the porch and i don't think the last time i got in touch with her was in September 
wow. last September to wish her a happy birthday. So it is so insane to me, but it is a reality that my son has three sisters, one who he lives with, and then he has two other sisters out there that I have no relationship with anymore. Right. It's not like a bad relationship. We just don't, we have, have a happy one. birthday, happy Halloween, happy new year. That's the extent of our relationship. Right. It's crazy. It's reality. But when you think about, when you really think about it, when you actually ask a very great question about family, in one of my chapters, Nana actually sort of blurts out, yeah. uh, I love, you know, it was more insinuating, like, I love my your son she more than my daughter. She loves her yeah. blood children, grandchildren more than, differently, more than differently than my daughter. And I thought, well, you've known my daughter for about five years longer than you've known uh, his son. His baby. And uh, of course, I got very defensive. And I said, so you're saying you love my son more than my daughter, both who came out of me. Yes. Not the, not the same. That, would it, that, that was the word. Yeah. Not the same. Um, she was mortified after for saying it. I could tell. Sure. Everybody was mortified, but the problem is once you put it out there, once you say something like that, it's very hard to unforget that sure. happened, right? Especially if you're a mama bear. Yeah. yeah. And, and quite frankly, even my parents um, sort of were clueless. Like when it came to, you know, holidays where you have to buy gifts and stuff. Right. Do I just buy for my, my bio grandchildren yeah. or am I now right. including these, the other children? So that's why I say this like blissfully blended bullshit is not about stepmothers and stepdaughters. There's a million stories relationships. about relationships. People don't understand yes. how many variations of people who need to get along to make a successful blended family. So my yeah. parents always felt a little awkward. They never knew what they, you know, they always bought them birthday presents but you could tell, like, just walking in, I don't know what to say. Like, yes, how, how do I act? And one of the most heart-wrenching that I n never would have thought of, and no one thinks of this, is that my daughter's father and I get along quite well. Before yep. positively co-parenting came out, we were doing that. Okay, like, Before Gwyneth. One of the hardest things was to tell him that another man was moving into my mm -hmm. house and that I was pregnant yes. and which meant for him, okay, suddenly his only daughter is now having, is getting a new sibling and a man living with her that is not her father, but is there full time. Um, and I could, he was, he was like, well, congratulations, but I could hear the choke. Yes. The choke. And it made me want to cry because he didn't make the decision. Like it was our decision yeah. to find families and he didn't have any say. And interestingly, his parents, my daughter's grandparents, so lovely, such lovely people, never once brought up in the five years we had been living together and their grandchild was living with this, in this blended family. Not once did they ask about her brother. That being uh, said, sure. after the book came out, after we had broken up, she felt comfortable speaking up. Like, how uh, do they get along? 
And that's why I say there's so many, like you don't think of, oh, you have to tell your ex that you're pregnant and you have to explain to your parents this is how it works or what you should do. And quite frankly, there's no right or wrong answer. Every family is different. So do what you want to do. But I think I went in with such high expectations that everyone is likes each other. And then it, well, you, you hit it, you hit yeah. it on the head, right? You hit blissfully on the head too. And as I, as I went, as I mean, too. And as I went along, I found myself writing down the truths that you were dispelling or the truths you were revealing. And I still have, you know, I'm peppered with sticky notes where it's <laughs> truth, question mark, blood kids are loved more. Truth, question mark. Exes are going to have reactions and it's our problem to take care of them. I, I found myself hitting all these truths that are just true about families, but even more complicated in blended families. You know, I tried to mm -hmm. sit back and put myself in the situation, but some of your scenes are so relatable, whether you're in a blended family or not. You're sitting there on the street in the car. I picture you with the phone up saying to X, you know, um, boyfriend's moving in, so are his daughters, and I'm pregnant. And we hear him, we feel his confusion. He's got this, these feelings that we can't really put names around. And to me, that is the modern definition of family. When you reveal in the book that there are so many intricately woven roles that we play in family anyway, and now we're playing it sometimes with relative strangers, sometimes with blood relatives, sometimes with relatives by marriage, um, people that we have histories with that we would not find ourselves otherwise related to. And to me, that's the new definition of family is it's, we're, we're in these roles. We're really not in a hierarchy or in some kind of orderly fashion, but we're in roles and families. Yes. And, yeah, and just that being said, like people don't understand, like even the simplest question and I get into it, how many children do you have? Oh, yes. right. So how many children do I have when we were together? Do I have four children or do I have two? Because two are biological and two we're like so if a stranger asked me how many children do you have it was actually kind of funny like i sometimes i'd say four depending on my mood four and they'd be like you look amazing for having four children and i'm thinking <laughs> yeah because i only gave birth to two of them <laughs> and they're they're older too right so and then sometimes you just don't want to explain it to people because yes. right it's you know, oh, I have two biological, two, two bonus or step, whatever you want to, whatever label you prefer. Um, and then they were, there's follow-up questions. Oh, so then you had a son together? Like, how does this work, right? right? And yeah. quite frankly, if my generation, my parents' generations barely under, understand divorce, how are they going to understand blended families? Like, right. Like, it's great. It's crazy. So even that simple question turns into, oh, I'm clueless. I don't even know how, how, how to answer how many kids I have. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it, you did such a good job in raising all of these different areas where it affects a family, like the, the different way we define family and the relationships and how complicated they get, like the relationships between the siblings, you know, they're, yeah that's a whole you know especially in your case you had you know your your ex had two daughters so they would have a bond and then your daughter's there and you, you know I think you also you tell another story about a friend of yours who you know her her husband had two two boys and 
you know, they're very bonded as well. And, you know, so there's these um, connections that you don't share with people. And I I don't know, it's just, it's messy. I I was thinking about how I've just assumed that families do blend blissfully or that, you know, somehow it's not this and I wanted this be, like I wanted this to be a book not just for people who are in blended families but also for people thinking of going into blended families yeah and also for the relatives be, uh, to understand of course like do I lo- like I I can even ask my question do I when we were good do I love my biological kids just as equally as these two kids that I met at when they were n- 11 and 9 well, I'm not going to say it. Sure. I think it, right? That's what yeah. I mean. Like there's, we know this from kindergarten. There's some things you should say. And sometimes you think, <laughs> yeah. what I will say about them though, is that I'm fond of them. I'm, I've always was very fond of them. And I think that's the closest description I could, could say. I was fond yeah. of them. I never pretended to be their mother. They have a great mother. Um, I found it interesting too, because I'm not the type of person who really likes to discipline other people's children, be it on a school field trip, be it a play date at my house. I don't like yelling at other kids. So it became like, I couldn't, I, I just don't, if they were doing something that I didn't like, I don't, I didn't feel like I, it was my position to tell them, no, you I only accepted, you know, you having a dog live with us. Right. You were going to walk this dog. And I had nothing to do with this dog. You walked the dog. Well, that never happened. (laughs) Yeah. um, And a lot of things never happened, right? I mean, that's where I found both that this was about blended families, but also about family. When you talked about having expectations, but never really having the conversations to agree on what those expectations were and Mm -hmm. the dog thing having the dog was a thing you know paying for things um i found it so relatable around he'd prepare these lavish meals for when his kids came but the rest of the time you know mac and cheese would be fine but you know (laughs) there were there were so many conversations that could have been had to quote unquote manage expectations but you're not different in a blended or weren't different in a blended family than in a real family. I mean, and not a real family in a what biological family, uh, again, yeah. traditional family. So it's that we don't speak about what our boundaries are, expectations are, what we need from one another, but we do find ourselves starting to harbor the resentment and the resistance in our hearts of the things we mm-hmm. can't say and maybe think we shouldn't say. And that for me was a pal of your book was that blended family or not, you're showing us that the intricacies of family rely on communication, managed expectations and unrealistic expectations. Right. But if, and, yeah, and, and I and, fall, and it, we it all fall into it. Like, it's not just me who are is, like, we barely have a relationship with my bonus daughters who are in my life for a good six years, but they don't, my daughter doesn't have a relationship mm-hmm, right. with them at all. Not, not for any other reason she, than her being a teen and moving on with her life, that they're off in university, they're continuing on their lives. But think about it. They all share a sibling, but yes. they, they don't talk. It's, it's yeah, a- it is really, really strange. I, I, um, 
oh, I learned so much from the book. It was great because I, I have a, my niece is in a very similar situation where he had one, she had two, and then they have one together. And uh, I, when I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, just they have to deal with all of this stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yep. even us. Coming, question, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> even us coming for, um, I remember our first Christmas when they got together, we're like, should we get Kelly a gift? Like, you know, his what daughter, do do? like, what do yes. we do? Like, we're, because um, we wouldn't the get her yes, kids right? something. Yes. Okay. And so we do, of course we do, but it was, it was just something now we have a relationship with her as well. You mm -hmm. talk a lot about money in the book. And I think money is an issue in every marriage pretty well. Like it comes a up Any relationship, money yeah. is. Yeah. Yes, I do. Cause so what happened was, um, I lived in, I, he moved into my place. Okay. So, and I think from the very, very beginning, if I could do a redo, I would have, uh, found a, a new place for all of us because mm -hmm. to me, it always felt like this is my house. Like at that, even, if, even if it went down to this level, it always in the back of my head is like, this is my house right and in blissfully blended bullshit i don't come across as being uh you know the nicest person at all times i come across sometimes being a real asshole to tell you the truth um but the problem is it's like they didn't get to choose what room they can sleep in they didn't get to, they didn't even get to choose where they sit at the dinner table mind you because my daughter always sat there i always sat there so if they couldn't even make a decision of where to sit at a dinner table. Can you imagine? And one of the very first fights when it went sort of downhill and it's a, was a continuous fight for not embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It went on for years, which was, and which was just who says hi to who walking yes. in the door. The high okay. by, the high by yeah. fight. fight. And when I talked to other friends who had been in blended families, they were like, oh my God, that's, that's exactly what I went through. I'm like, why didn't yeah. all you blended families out there, why didn't you speak up? Like now it's like, I need to speak up because people only tell you things after it's over. Right. So after yeah. like, for example, my ex and suddenly my friends were like, yeah, I never thought he was quite right for you. Well, why did you tell why me that? Say <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Thank you. you. Yeah. Like, can you spend some time on that for us? I mean, the, the learning part of the book is always what we get into on Reframe Your Life. And I wonder now if you would do the conversational stuff differently. Would you talk about everything? Would you have the family meetings? Would you sit down with boyfriend and say, you know, what the deal was going to be. Would you take the lawyer's form out of your purse and actually put it in front of him? What, what would you do differently on that front? Um, well, as opposed to by like finding a place that it was new to everybody, yeah. Yeah. I would have had at least 10 discussions, if not 50 discussions before moving. Okay. Can you discipline each other's children? Who is paying for what? Um, like any, like mm -hmm. anything, what, if your okay. daughter does something that I don't like, am I supposed to tell you, um, the awkwardness right. of attending graduation ceremonies where, you know, their bio mother was there and I was there. I mean, it literally made everyone so uncomfortable. 
I mean, we could get through it, but do we choose to be uncomfortable? No. And I remember at the end of one of my bonus daughter's graduation, uh, we went to take a picture together and the bio mom was standing there and it's not like she had daggers in her eyes or anything, but it was a, it was an uncomfortable moment. And yep. then I realized this will be for the rest of my life. My son yes. is eventually going to get married. Right. And I have a friend now whose child is about to get married and they're in a blended family. They're arguing, how do you, how do we do these invitations? Like who would like, I, yes, you know, and where, where is my like place now? Uh, you know, where is my place? Right. And do you think it's, is it more realistic, do you think that people do discuss this or that people don't discuss this? I guess what I'm getting at is I love that you often refer to other sort of case study people. You say, my friend went through this here and a person I know went through this this way. What do you find to be more the norm, Rebecca? Do you find that people do practice avoidance? They don't want to have those dark discussions or do you think it's more common that people are having them? And is that predicting success of blended families or the stay together of blended families or no? No, because there was very few, uh, I, I mean, I did a lot of research for this book too, but there's very little out there on blended families that aren't happy stories, right? Um, and I read this study that after five years, that's at the five-year mark in a blended relationship or blended household, that's where everyone kind of settles into their role. Well, that okay. didn't happen to me. It started out great. And then at the five-year mark, we were ready to murder each other. And I can tell you this much, COVID is not doing so well. I'm, I've never been more blessed to think, thank you that I don't live with someone because I hear my neighbors next door and they're really? in a blended family. Night, morning to night, they are arguing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, then I think, oh, that was me too. Like we were arguing in our backyard every night they heard right, where the kids couldn't hear you yeah, right right but my neighbors now know probably more about my personal life than anybody else <laughs> right of course of course <laughs> yeah but yeah like the expectation thing number one lower your expectations i say like you know even on mother's day even after five versus five years to get a text at like eleven fifty nine. oh happy mother's day it's not like a you know, did I expect, I don't expect a present. I don't expect much, but so, like, just as a kind yeah. thing to do, yeah. who cares? You're whipping off with a text saying happy birthday, yeah. happy mother's day. Like mean it, don't mean it, but yeah. you know, you, you can do that. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a message for all of us too, isn't it? To put a little more energy in. And I know I am terribly and, guilty and of this. Yeah. It's very rare that, you won't side with your own child. You will always take your own right. child over your partner, their kids. It's, right. That's probably yeah. my logic. I'm not a doctor, but that's human. Yeah. That's, and if yep. I have to be the one to say it, then fine. But that's rea that's the reality. Your you will your partner will kind of be second. You, yeah. Even, you know, you can plan your weekly date nights, which I think is a great idea just for, you know, to, for the two adults to have time together. Yeah. But you're never going to win 
if someone says something negative about your child. Yeah. Like good point. It, good point. Even if they're yeah. right, like it your back is pushed up. Like how dare you talk to you know, right. one of the things was my daughter always slept with me. Yes, um, right. And then when yeah. he moved in, obviously that had changed, but we did, you know, a couple days you can sleep with me and whatever. Um, and he, she was the type, just, she loved to come in saying good, good night to me seven, right. eight times. Right. He, well, and he lost, and he lost his patience. Annoyed. He's getting yeah. annoyed. And I'm like, who cares? She's just coming in to say seven, good night, yeah. seven or eight times. I can absolutely see how that could be annoying for someone who's just sure. trying to spend some time with me. But I'm not going to take, I'm not going to yell at her over no. just because you're like missing like a part of a hockey game. Like, come yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. I was, I was surprised in the book how high the statistics were for failure for a blended family. Uh, mm-hmm. 71%? Right. Yeah. It's high. It's, it, it would be, um, a warning to me, I think, if people even knew that going in, that you have like a 30% chance of, of making it as a family, of, mm-hmm. of blending successfully. That, that was yeah. eye-opening. Yeah, the odds are not, on, uh, are not on blended families working outside. Right. The odds are. And, you know, people always say you have to work at a relationship. You have to work. And I find that to be exactly true. You true. have to work at a relationship. But yep. when you're in a blended family, you have to work on it 10 times harder right. for you'd... fear that someone is going to mad at, be mad at you for something. There is going to be like tattletaling, like a lot of the times his daughters, yeah. you know, I treated them more sort of as like girlfriends than any sort of role model or mother figure. Um, they would go to their dad and then the dad would come to me. And then, you know, it was just a lot of, it felt like, you know, a bit like high school, like gossip, right? Sure. (laughs) And those, those, those intricacies come through so loud and clear in your writing and your writing style Mm -hmm. in particular. And I wonder if we could get you to read a little bit for us because I couldn't bear to leave the podcast if people didn't get a taste of you, because this is not a conventionally written memoir in any way. It is pure, unadulterated you without any desire to sugarcoat although I'm going to ask you questions about sugarcoating as we move on but I want them to hear you because the I was so blissful in just hearing you tell it like it is as if we were girlfriends and you were shooting straight from the hip so part of it is your personality comes through loud and clear in your writing style but your the the way you can't quite sort out how you feel about things comes through too I didn't I didn't want you to get it I didn't want you to polish it up for me, Rebecca. I love that you were like, I didn't know how that felt. And you own that part of this was your responsibility. And you were like, I guess I could have done it differently. So your tone to me was so welcome because it was so valid, so real and so natural coming out of you. I shared your feelings and I didn't, I didn't ever get full resolution to your own frustration. And I just applaud your tone in the book and hope that the readers get a taste of it when you read for us. It's move-in day. Boyfriend and I have decided to blend homes. Today, my house becomes our house. Rowan, my daughter, who has been the only child in this home ever, will now have two other girls to share her space with. There will be a new adult male figure in the home. 
I'm giddy, like a six-year-old experiencing her first pony ride as I wait for the moving truck to arrive. We are blending. My bed will now be our bed. My kitchen, everyone's. There will be other people's food in my fridge, other people cooking at my stove, using my laundry, walking my halls, using my bathrooms, watching my televisions, sitting on my couch. 10 minutes later, I'm desperately looking for my stash of Ativan, prescribed to me by my doctor for use on an as-needed basis. Boyfriend has rented a U-Haul, and I see him backing it into the driveway from the living room where I'm standing for the last time in my house. I'm there, surrounded only by my things, in pure, clutter-free, blissful quiet. It's kind of a turn-on to see him maneuver the truck, which I'll soon see is stuffed to the brim. It's all happening, I think. It's happening. Mm -hmm. And then I think, what have I done? What are we doing? What's that where's that damn bottle of Ativan? Seriously, where the fuck is it? It's as needed right now. <laughs> I, I wish I could remember the moment or or conversation in which boyfriend and I decided that it was time to live together and blend households. But there really was no aha moment. We didn't sit down and have long meetings to hash out issues that could arise if and when we were to move in together. There was no sitting down and talking about the, about the logistics, no discussion of how it would affect the kids, no dialogue over who would pay for what, no talk of disciplining each other's children, or if the ugly leather chair he is so attached to would be better left on the side of the road. You'd think we'd, we'd lay out ground rules and expectations and financial responsibilities and discuss the pros and cons and all the fun logistics of that. Or that we discuss, possibly with the help of professionals, how to help our children adjust. Of course, none of that happened. It, because we are so in love, none of that seems to matter. It will all just, you know, naturally work out. There is one enormous reason he is moving in, but mostly moving in together just feels right. We are both still in a happy daze at the speed at which our relationship has moved. Now, both literally and figuratively, we are in love. I hung out with his two children numerous times. He's hung out with my daughter. We have all hung out together. My daughter and I have spent weekends sleeping over at his house, located outside the city in the suburbs, where every house kind of looks like the same, and there's a Taco Bell in every corner. I've seen boyfriend in father mode. He's seen me mothering. One of the reasons I think boyfriend and I also both came to the conclusion that we wanted to live together was because driving to see each other was so time consuming. The planning getting together was becoming more challenging as we tried to carve out even more time to spend together, fitting that in with all of our children's activities and schedules. Might as well make it convenient. It was becoming ludicrous figuring out how to see each other as much as possible surrounding our children's schedules and activities. Our relationship has, has progressed so far and it just seems dumb not to take the next logical step at our age, sharing real estate. 
Mm, you like thank you. <laughs> That's great. just fair. No, so, I, yeah, when you come I, back to money, it was difficult because I had already owned the house. He had been renting a house. We never had that conversation because it's an ugly conversation. No one wants to have conversations about money ever. So, and it was even more complicated, right? Because you had the ex paying for some of it because of support still. So what a complicated no, it, mess. It wasn't, no? no, it wasn't it, it wasn't support. It was oh, okay. both own the house, 50-50. Oh, right. So the problem became, well, I, like I'm sure my ex was thinking, why the fuck am I paying for some other guy to live in the house that like sure. I have own, right? right. Um and there was no talk. I mean, we did go to counseling a bit and then we argue after who is paying for the therapist. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, he said like, let's go to therapy. I'll pay for it. I'm like, okay. I don't really think we need therapy because we sh were two adults who are pretty intelligent. We could sort of figure this out, but that being said, it, we couldn't figure it out. We were arguing right. literally every day. So I'm right. like, okay, you're offering to pay. Let's go. Guess who gets in my inbox the invoice? Right. Me. Right. Me, me, me. And that pulls me directly into talking about the what we reveal and what we don't reveal. And bear with me here because uh, having written my own revealing memoir about family and how we reacted in a crisis, I was very diligent to share as little as possible, um, mostly because I didn't want it to detract from the story, but you deliberately needed to share in order to tell yours. So I want to dig into this a little because people always ask memoirists uh, if there were repercussions or if there were, you know, upset people about you telling your truth. So for me, it enriched the story that you held nothing back. In fact, I related to your situation because when you had the attempt to blend, you held nothing back. But I still had that suspicion that as a woman, as a mother, as a girlfriend, as a stepmom, all of those things, I still know that as a writer, you calculated what to share and what not to share. So I'm wondering if you can share with us from the writing standpoint, what were those calculations? Was it, okay, I know this is as far as I'm willing to go say on Nana or on bonus daughters. And what about you? What did you hold back for you? Because it's a story that is told with, for me, very clear boundaries about how far you were willing to go into revealing intricacies. But how did you calculate what to share and what not to share? I mean... Um, I always write as a memoirist, which I mostly do. Uh, I always write as if no one is going to see this book. I'm not like one of those people who are like, Hey, I got a book deal. Let's let you, or, you know, it's more like I sat down, I had, to, I had to pretend as to be as truthful as possible and as candid and honest okay. as possible and I really did. I wrote it as, as is no one was going to read this. And I didn't, I, like, I, I, I never held back. I, there was nothing I left out down to the very minutia of like your, the story about going uh, prom dress shopping with my bonus daughters. Who, and I was so excited about going with her because I thought she yes. was asking for my opinion. Yes. And it turned out, I mean, as women, we're in change rooms a lot 
we get stuck in things. Zippers don't <laughs> always, they get caught. But she was spending a lot of time in the change room and it turned out that she was taking pictures of herself, sending them to her mom. So I actually really wasn't needed there because at the end of the day, it was her mom who had made the final decision of what kind of prom dress was yes. reasonable for her daughter to wear. Um, but I don't think I, I, I don't, looking back, I, even though Nana doesn't talk to me anymore, um, sorry, I, what, what can I say? Sometimes the truth hurts. And right. again, it's candid, it's honest, it's real. And would she face it? Like, and even my parents, like they didn't even, well, my mom said she she's, would do it for her book club. <laughs> um, okay. <but> wow. <laughs> that's, that's high four, praise. That's, a, that's at least four books sold, right? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but even they, like even after, they still don't know how to talk to me. They don't like... Um, you know, because there was a lot of arguing as we imploded about money. Um, I know I had a furnished house when he moved in, but suddenly when he moved out, he was asking for everything from all the TVs to down to a shower caddy that you could buy at Dollar Mart for $11. Um, his mother from whatever was at the house helping him pack. She was packing like scissors, like so, like so, it made me feel so yucky. I'm like, what are you sure? Think? You can't to the point she went into my refrigerator and took half a box of ice cream sandwiches. Um, and it's I'm not crazy. She's a lovely woman. She's sweet. Her family is her life. So I can see that kind of over protectiveness. Um, but that money came into play then right i did talk to my lawyer and she gave me two pieces of advice one was if you want to get him out there out of the house as quickly as possible which at that point i did because the arguing was exhausting emotionally physically everything it was i i felt like i really really suffered for many years just fighting so much she's like just give him whatever he wants it's just stuff and she was right yeah. Once he moved out, took what all the TVs, the couches, the mattress, whatever he wanted, he was out. So what? I had a couple rooms that didn't have furniture for a few months. Like you know, not sure. life ending. Um, but the second piece of advice she gave me, and this was I think more sort of on a personal level, was you should reach out to his ex-wife from the start because to to form a good relationship. So can you imagine? Not only did I have to call my father's i was sorry yes. my daughter's father to say this i actually called at that time my my boyfriend's ex-wife ex. yes you did i pulled I girl pulled, you I have got you got brave <laughs> yeah so it's kind of funny it's like the children knew i was pregnant and we said keep it a secret because you know the, the whole, whole superstition about the three months i believe in that so we didn't want to tell anybody but we told no. them anyway i work up this nerve i gotta say like i i should have been in like a big room like a hot yoga class i was sweating so much okay <laughs> i'm making this phone call anyway she picks up i'm like hi it's rebecca i'm sure obviously you know who i am 
uh, I just wanted to let you know that you're always welcome to come if you want to come over, have a coffee, see how your children are living over here. Um, and also, uh, to let you know before everyone Having else is pregnant. Well, of course, I'm talking about two teenage girls. Of course, they told her their mother, right? So she right. already knew I was pregnant. So, but what I found interesting is, and I kind of admired this in a way because she never once took me up on my offer. She's never once in seven years stepped in my house um, mm. to see where her children live. And I say this is um, admirable because I know so many blended families where the ex causes such issues for the new relationship, mm. right? And so I feel almost like kind of blessed that she was ambivalent towards me. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. True enough. I mean, it, she never got in her way except once. But that was that was one with. wrinkle you didn't have to deal with, right? And I right. remember feeling I kind of remember feeling a little bit of relief for you that you didn't have to deal with that wrinkle. And that a is a wrinkle for people like the extra call nonstop, which obviously gets in the in the way of a happy moving forward sure. third chance, second chance relationship, right? Mm. So you know, I admire her kind of for, at first I thought it was weird. Like, don't you even want to check me out in person? Like as women, like, like, right. you know, yeah. like don't you want to like, you know. Don't you want to check me out? Yeah. You didn't have to deal with her, her during all those years, except seeing her, you know, at ceremonies. Right. And okay. you were right. You were writing during that whole time. Were you, I mean, that's, you know, I, I'm interested in, were you writing while you were together? Because, yeah. and then also writing when you weren't, you know, the book is in present mm -hmm. tense, with I, which I applaud you for, because it's in present tense. So we're right there with you, right? Mm -hmm. We are championing you. We want you to have those conversations. We feel bad that your love goggles are staying on so long. We're right there with you. And the present tense does that. But I couldn't then tell if when things fell apart, if that was happening kind of in real time, we didn't know how how much in the past it was. We didn't know how old your son was. So I wondered, when did you write, do the actual writing of the book? And were you writing when it was over? Yes. And in fact, a lot of people don't really understand like how publishing books works. They work on a very sure. tough deadline. You have to make that deadline. Um, and yes, my narrative changed. It changed about three quarters of the way in. And I had to then start writing about the implosion of a, uh, you, you know, if you think divorce is hard in the historical traditional way, try yeah. breaking up a blended family. That mm. is even worse. So yes, I continued to write, get up at five as I did pretending no one was ever yeah. going to see this. Um, no, I did not run it by him to say, can I say this? Because it's my story. It is my right. story. Yep. These are my truths. And I would be doing a disservice if someone like said, you can't write this. Sure. It's the truth. I can write the truth. And I would when be you, doing a disservice did, if I wasn't honest. When you started writing it, were you writing in your mind, were you writing a book about, hey, look at how we blended our family and you didn't see the dis the dissolution coming or when you started writing it did were you telling the story 
of, did you know the relationship had ended? I guess is what I mean. It hadn't ended. Um, I would say we were kind of like definitely near the end. We were again, are going a lot. Um, but then, you know, like I said, yeah, no, then I had to continue to write because I write about him like moving out and stuff and the money stuff. And, and we didn't even get like, I tried, I did hire a lawyer. He's like, I'm not paying money for a lawyer, which quite frankly is the first legal step in a divorce. You have to divulge your financials. In my case, it, it didn't matter. Like it, like you know, I had the letter and he's like, I cobbled something up from the internet. So, you know, like we joke, like we're internet doctors, like we look up like headache and suddenly we think, you know, like we, you know, could have a tumor. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I did afterwards have to learn skills to deal with X. I didn't need therapy necessarily because my brain was all screwed up. I needed to know how to deal with my ex and yes. custody and um, sort of the creative, I like to say creative accounting on his end. Um, that's not all to say he's a, you know, a bad father or anything. Cause he's sure. not. And sure. I, I, I would even argue he's, he's, he's a very nice guy. And if you met him, you would probably like him. Um, yeah. So I, what were we talking about? Uh, <laughs> so, still, yeah, so I had to yeah. change it because that okay. happened. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry if people's feelings got hurt, but I came down just as hard Nana as I did to my parents. Sure. Um, like saying, no, you like, you know, so that's yeah. why I say it's like, I think everyone needs to read it. And the reason I read it is because things were popping up and I couldn't find anything that just didn't deal with the reality of blended family. I don't care about just being a stepmother. I want to know why like his ex-wife is, doesn't want me to go to like a a party or something like, yes. I, and I do think now people are like, you know, that they're starting to understand it, but like the littlest fights in a blended family can turn into a battle and then the battle becomes a war and then you're done. Right. And then the, then there are sides and then there are those, that whole thing about loving each other differently and who we are to each other comes up. And I don't write about, yeah, it hasn't been like the first year after we, we broke up, it was, terrible but now over the time we've actually got to a place where i'm not getting evil angry emails or texts every day all day long we're actually kind of getting along and we're having nice conversations who are you dating this that that whatever and it's the other people who are like his mother my parents it could they're like, okay. what are you guys doing? Like, and I'm like, what no, are you no, doing? No. Getting along. Yeah. Getting along. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's called. It's other people. We're supposed to. And yeah. Like, and would, would you write about that now? I mean, as you move into your next project and I know as a writer, you are uber prolific and you like to always mm-hmm. be working on a project, but would you write about the next phase for you? Would you, or have you just had enough of writing about that? 
No, because the problem is it won't be a phase. This is my life. This is going to be my life for the rest of my yes, life. And that's is. why I had to go see a therapist to wrap my head around being in a room, being with people who don't like each other because of the, our imploding of our blended family. I needed to learn the skills. And basically it is hashtag, I don't give a shit what you think. Yeah. Hashtag, <laughs> why the fuck? Yeah, like, no, that's what, that's what the therapist said. Just, yeah. you only need yeah. two things, Rebecca. Why the fuck do you care what, this pe- what people think? And I don't give a shit. Those were his two hashtags for me to live by. And you know what? It worked. After I kept saying it to myself, saying to myself, I was like, all right, you can send me 12 angry emails. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Like, so that actually worked. That's free there. That, 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 that to all your fans, that was $250 piece of advice for you. (laughs) Oh, there you go. I don't give a shit. And there you go. You can add disappoint more people. (laughs) Yes, exactly. People, people, and it it does, it even becomes confusing for even setting up play dates with my, like for my son, because the parents don't know where my kid is. Is he with me? Is he the dad? Um, But they're getting it. They're starting to get it. People are getting it. And they have to get it because one of the studies, Sandy, like as you mentioned, yes, was. that like there's but there's going to be more blended families yeah. than the traditional historical you know three kid happily married that's Both not bio ha- parents, that's not yeah. happening no no it's it's not going to happen no it yeah. i mean maybe yeah no it's not going to happen so what are you going to write next rebecca what are you working on um actually i am working on a book of essay sort of in the genre uh Joan Didion, uh Nora Ephron. I'm I, I really want to tackle midlife. Uh, awesome. Another thing, mind you, that no one tells you about until oh, yeah. after the symptoms start hitting you. Like one really funny story is I realized I was middle-aged because in one month two men who one was in his late 60s and one was in early seventies asked me out and I thought, Oh, I, but it's not wrong. Like I'm 45. Like, so what? Yeah. I could date a 61 year old. Of course. Of course. That, that was the moment I'm like, Oh my God, they see me as, as a reasonable eligible ask out. for most people. It's, Oh my God, my gray hair, right? The first gray hair. That's when they lose sure. it. But for me, it was something totally different. And for other people, it's not, so I'd like to tackle like modern midlife, right? Like, yes. oh, yeah, I love know, it. Because we, yes. we didn't grow up in an age of technology. We are learning, yeah. we are learning kind of along with our kids. Right? I think so. Like, yeah. I mean, so it's a whole new world, not just because of COVID, just because of technology. And um, one of I the best things that, I yeah. did for anyone who is worried about not understanding websites. I literally hired a friend's son to sit with me for two, for four hours over a weekend. And I just, he showed me, we practiced, practiced, taught you everything. Best money I have ever spent in my life because now I actually understand how the back end of websites work, uh, analytics, all of that stuff, posting on websites. In, In that way, I 
should have gotten a tutor in blended families. Sit down. Tell me what I'm, <laughs> tell me what I'm going to face, right? That is a great idea. And and yeah. actually, my the therapist that I went to to and I go to maybe once a month, like when I need a reminder. You don't give a shit, Rebecca. What people say, you don't give a shit. Um, he actually is recommending my book to everyone oh, who comes I love in that. To his office because he thought this is the truth. This is what yes. happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or these are the things that could happen. So just yeah. be prepared for that. Yeah. Um, but I thought Can that we, was like the greatest compliment ever. I'm like, sure. Wow. Like it is a greatest compliment. is like recommending this book. It's great. What about a couple of things I know you're up to? So I know you're up to Savvy Mom. I know you're writing Kvetch and Kval. I hope I say that right. Yeah. And um, I know that you're in school. So does that involve a lot of writing? Are you zapped? I mean, you're still blogging. You're blogging, you know, for for two major papers. Um, can I call them papers now that they're completely online? But no, you how can't. Are you, how... I, I actually haven't even picked up an, an actual newspaper. No. Probably so let's just call them, let's call them uh, online digital something. things, digital <laughs> blogosphere writing. But you're doing a ton, even during this period of COVID and anticipating essays on your life. So what are you loving writing right now? What's getting your juices fired up? Um, well, I can tell you it's not what my instructor told me to read for the assignments, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking a book publishing course, the business end of it, because my, what I want is to not write as much anymore as I do wanting to find new voices out there and start my own imprint and get their stories out there. That's my personal next move. I, I, I print my books. I'm good. I'm happy with what I've done. No regrets. Um, and now I want to, I want to help other writers get their yeah. stories out. Yeah. So I, I I'm that. taking this course to learn the business end. That being said, like I, I, I think I've gotten in trouble like three or four times now. <laughs> and I, 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 at one point I'm like, can you just call my mother at this point? Like, I feel right. like, like yeah. I, I mean, go call my 76 year old mother and complain about me. Like I, I um, so yeah. The expectations also online are not that hard. Like I, yeah. like I remember working so, so, so hard studying and reading. They don't expect that because guess what? These instructors are yeah. not getting paid that much. So they're, they want minimum work. They, okay. they really do. And there's a whole other language. When I got in trouble because I was under discussions I was discussing something with someone. Well, apparently discussions online means like, it doesn't mean discussion at all. It just means you put your point of view down. Right, too. So a couple of questions in closing, and thank you. I mean, this has been very insightful. And I, yes. you know, for people who have not been in experience a blended family, I think there's a lot in here for you to consider and think about. And even for those of us who have, you know, people in our family who are in blended families, I think there's an opportunity to look at how you can be more supportive and understand some of the dynamics that are going on. So what, a couple quick questions. One is, what is your favorite memoir? Other than your own. Oh my gosh, I read so much, but uh, I loved it. Like I'm, I'm thinking like anything by... Joan 
Didion, Brene Brown, mm -hmm. uh, Nora Ephron. I loved Educated. Um, God, there's so many. I, like, what are you re What are you reading right now? Well, I'm 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 reading a manuscript for school. <laughs> oh, sorry, I sorry I asked. Um, actually, I just reread uh, Barbara. It's it's not a nonfiction, but I, in fact, I, I I don't even know if you can say there is a perfect book, but to me, one of ba Barbara Gowdy almost I I personally think yeah. is probably one of the best writers. She's extraordinary. Uh. And yeah. her book, The Romantics, that came out, oh, I think, in yeah. 2000. And it was so long ago, 2008 oh. or 2004. I will reread that book. because Thanks for reminding me about that one. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's such a beautiful she is. writer. And, I mean, she gets me every time with The Romantics because it's just like, okay. you know, like, I could be sad about a heartbreak one day and read it and I'll feel like, oh, someone's with me. Or I could be in an amazing relationship and just think this is a wonderful piece of work. Yeah. A perfect book. It, wow. It, it, I've never read it. it. Can books be That's perfect? high praise. Yeah. yeah. So I just finished rereading re her. Oh, gorgeous. Um, nice. I'm not reading anything heavy. Um, just because. Pandemic. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> so how can people connect with you? Where do you hang out socially? Where do you Are hang out? Yeah, well, I don't have a pool, so if you're expecting to come over and swim, that's not happening. <laughs> okay, I good. A trampoline, good if you would like to come trampoline. <laughs> um, I am always a fan of Facebook. Um, uh, so it's like at Rebecca Eckler, um, and I usually post most things there. I just find that that's my demographic. I've okay. definitely moved on to LinkedIn too, so I'm on LinkedIn. I find that. A whole new set of eyeballs that I yeah. Never... That's how we met. That's how we met was LinkedIn. Yeah, and it's it's great. It's a good way of meeting people. Yeah, it sure um, is. But like Instagram, and I'm terrible for, even for saying this because Instagram has pretty much taken over everything. But I'm I'm I don't really care about how my garden looks. Like I'm not into like pretty pictures of how I could like turn my desk into a haven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not on Instagram. Like I'm on, I'm on like four other different social media platforms. Like what more do you, like I can't, I can't yeah. take any more. Totally. Well, we'll put links um, with the blog when we are with the podcast, when we post it, where people can find you and your website and anywhere else. So and everything else you're doing. Yes. And it has been great getting to know you today and Thank you for your book and for your other books as well. And just for, for showing up today. And I know it's a crazy time, and so we appreciate right it. Now. Well, thank, thank you guys you. so much. That was fun. It's so a pleasure. It was fun. Fun.